He had great wealth. You know, if you look at that passage, there are a lot of things that you might kind of question or wonder about. One of them, you see, he quotes from the Old Testament out of Exodus 20. And in Exodus 20, he lists really the second part of the Ten Commandments. The last five commandments are there. You may wonder why the last five. You may have a question about, um, you know, why are they not in the same order that they're in in Exodus? Because in Exodus 20, you find out uh, honor your father is the first one, not the last one, which you get here. And then you may wonder about the man. What really happens to the man? He leaves. Does he actually become a Christian later on? You know, some believe he might become a Christian later on. But all these questions are not what we're going to look at tonight. We're mainly going to look at what they call one of the tough questions, and it comes early on in it. And it's up there where it says, Why do you call me good? No one is good but one, and that is God. Uh, That is one of the things we're going to look at. And when I started, it was months ago that we started this, and um, when we started it, we really picked from a list given by a guy by the name F.F. Bruce. And he has the hard uh, sayings of Jesus. And so months ago, I picked one. And I really went down and found one I thought I would like. And so from that, I started studying. And I have about five commentaries on this section. And I finally go, you know, I'm going to get that one by Bruce because it should be some really good stuff. You know, maybe I can just copy everything. Well, (laughs) you probably wish I did because if you look what Bruce has given us, it's not very much. <laughs> Bruce gives very little on it. And, uh, you know, you may think that's good because we get out of here early. But um, Bruce gives very little. And this is the best thing. I really like this. I started reading this. This is going to be great stuff. Look at the first line. This is not a very hard saying. I'm like, oh, not a hard saying? You know, what am I going to do for 30 minutes up there if you don't have much on this? And... Uh, so I thought about it for a while, and um, you know, there's really two hard sayings in this little section. I think I'm going to look at both of them. Not because um, I really need 30 minutes to try and make happen, because both of them are necessary to understand, for you to understand the whole section here of this passage. So there's two real questions. See if I'm high tech or not. Look at that. Hey, like that writing. I did that earlier today. Um, we're really looking at two verses, and hopefully you will, <clears throat> by the end, understand then that they're really not very difficult, as Bruce says. The first one is, why do you call me good? No one is good but one, and that is God. Now, when you first glance at that, you know, what comes to your mind? What do you think? You hear that. Is Christ saying here that he is not God? In this passage, is he denying his deity? You know, he says there's only one who's good, and the only one that is good is God. Is that what is happening there? And most of us would say, no, there's no way that could be true. Because we know the Bible a little bit. And if we look over in the book of John, we know that John 1 at the very beginning says what? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. We read in John here that from the very beginning, Christ, as we read here called the Word, was with God and was God. Turn over a little bit and you get over to John 10. 
Um, and we'll start here in verse 11. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. Verse 14. Again, Christ speaking, saying, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep, and my sheep know me. These passages are telling us that God is good, and all of us know that. We could look after passage after passage about the goodness of God. If you really wanted to spend some time, you study these different words here. There's different words. The Greek meaning is not the same as you find in the passage here in John 10, where he talks about, I am the good shepherd, and you find over here in John 10, 18. Why do you call me good? You know, the good you find over here is more, um, more of a, um, what's the word I want to use? Uh, along the line of, I've written this down, now I'm running from my notes, which is never a good thing to do for me, is more of a, a benefit compared to what you read in the John 10 where it's talking about valuable, valuable, there's worth there. And there's a big difference between those two. But however, what I like to do is to spend a little bit of time um, trying to make it even clearer to you. I think we can do that by looking at a few things and um, try and make this easier to understand. Um, and what I like to do is for us to look at some other situations similar to what you see here taking place in Mark 10. Um, if you turn to the beginning of Mark, those who have their Bible, um, in Mark 1, verse 40, a man with leprosy came to him and begged him on his knees, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Filled with compassion, Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. Immediately. Do you see the same? You basically have a similar situation here in early, or in the Mark verse we looked at a minute ago, that a man comes to him. They call him the rich young ruler. And really, that comes from all, taking all three of the passages on it. They come, the rich young ruler comes to Christ, kneels down before him, and asks a question. How can one have eternal life? We have it here, not up there. How can one have eternal life? And how does Christ respond? With a question. But you see here in John, I mean in Mark 1, you see, one with leprosy comes to him, bends, has, a, has a great need, and is healed immediately. You know, one of the um, stories I really enjoy is in Mark 10 as well. It's in the end of it. Um, it's about a blind man by the name of Bartimaeus. You can turn back to chapter 10. Verse 46 is where it starts. Bartimaeus is sitting on the side of the road. He's a blind beggar outside of Jericho. And Christ is coming towards him. Verse 48, 7 says this. When he heard that, he, when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout, 
Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me. Many rebuked him and told him to be quiet. But he shouted all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stopped and said, Call him. So they called to the blind man, Cheer up on your feet. He is calling you. Throwing off his cloak aside, he jumped to his feet and came to Jesus. What do you want me to do for you? Jesus asked him. The blind man said, Rabbi, I want to see. Go, said Jesus. Your faith has healed you. And immediately he is healed. Do you see the difference here? We have three stories I've given you. Two where people are in great need and are healed. And one, a man in great need and is not healed. You know, there's a great need by this man who comes to Christ. He is seeking an answer. The others came to him seeking the Savior. See, there's a big difference in the whole process of what is taking place here. You know, what does the man really want? And you've got to understand, Christ understands the heart of the man. This man is not coming in here and, and pulling one over him. Christ understands the condition of the man. He knew what was taking place here. And we see a, a different result. We see here in, in this verse, in chapter 10, where we see a man who comes to Christ, falls on his knees and says, Good teacher, what must I do? to inherit eternal life. He is calling him a good teacher. He is, he is being superficial about the whole thing. He is very, being very thoughtless in using him and calling him good teacher. He is coming wanting something from him. He wanted a benefit from him. He wants to get something so that he might have eternal life. And so I think it's not that hard for one to understand what has taken place here. You know, if you really want to study it more, you can turn back to Matthew and look what Matthew says. Because Matthew does it a little bit different. He doesn't really call Christ um, the good teacher. Listen to this. Here it is right here. This is in Matthew 19, 16 through 21. Now, I'm reading out of the King James, I mean the um, uh, NIV. In the King James, who has a King James? New King James. Um, what does it say there um, in verse um, 16 and 17? Okay, 16 and 17. There's actually... Hold up. I've come prepared. Um, not real prepared because I'm not there. Um, here we have the rich man. He says, now behold, um, now behold, one came... And said to him, Good teacher, what good thing shall I do that I may have eternal life? Well, he just called him good teacher again. But if you look at that, if you have the New King James, if you look closely there, you can see over to the side, it is telling you something. And it really tells you how it really is supposed to be go. It says, Why do you ask me about what is good? 
There is one who is good. See, he doesn't, even in the King James, and it says the same in the NIV, they don't even call him the good king or the good here. It is not in the text. See, Matthew doesn't even record that. Why? Because he sees that the, the, this whole story is around, it's not so much about looking about, is God, is Christ really good? That's not what it's about. The story is about a man who comes with a need and he's trying to meet the need on his own. I think you'll see that as we get more into this um, in the verses here. You should be able to understand that this is a superficial way that he comes to Christ here. The ruler has put his faith in his good works. He has not put it in the goodness of Christ and the Father. Now, what I'd like for us to do is kind of look more now at this second part of this thing. Because you see in 18, one of the things that we have mentioned up here is on talking about eternal life, someone mentioned, I think myself, uh, is about our understanding, is understanding of who is God. In verse 18, we do see that. We find in verse 18 that God is the only one that is truly good. He is trying to get a picture for this man to understand the goodness of God. Now, most of us can kind of understand that. You know, um, there's my chicken scratch back up there. But most of us would understand that we have, yeah, that's bad. We did it again. Most of us would say and understand that we understand that God is holy, that God is righteous and just. We have a pretty good understanding of who God is. And we see in these passages here that you get an understanding of who God is. God is the only one who is good. Now, he comes with a question to the man, and then he follows with more in verse 19. You've got to make sure you understand now, God or Christ in this is seeking to share the truth and expose the lie. Seeking to share the truth and expose the lie. Verse 19. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, honor your father and your mother. And he replies to him. He says to him, Teacher, all these things I have kept from my youth. He's basically saying, You know, I've really been good for all my youth and I've done all these things. Remember, Christ just said there is none who is good. And he has come back after Christ has stated all this. And said, you know, really, I've done all this. I am good. Christ is trying to expose him, trying to show him that there is none who is good. You know, most of us understand this graph, I think, if you've um, been around kind of the Christian world a little bit. You see the graph where they show how God is holy, and then you have this big Grand Canyon type thing. And you have man over here. What takes place here? In the illustration, what is usually shown next? 
the bridge is shown next? Or is the sin shown next? See, what Christ has done right here, He's showing the man, He gives him a whole list of things. Of things that are good about God. And the guy says, oh, I've done all this. In the drawing, usually you see, you see man over here, and man is trying to reach God. We call it our sin. We keep trying, and they keep falling short of it. But see, this man has come to Christ asking a question. See, he feels like there are things he is doing to reach God, and all he needs is a few more steps to make it to God. His drawing would look more like this. See it? He, here he is, the rich young ruler, and he is taking his own steps. He is making his own steps, as you can see, up there. All he really needs, see if I can do this, are these last two spots. If he could just figure out, if Christ could just, this good teacher, if you could just tell me these last two spots, he doesn't really say it like that, but he, if you could help me in the end here to figure this all out. You know, I kept all these other things. Help me with what is necessary. And so Christ does. But see, some people look at this, what he says next, and, and believe that Christ is reinforcing or is saying that, you know, you can earn your way into heaven. Because what does he tell him next? What does he tell the man? He tells him to go and to sell all that he has. Doesn't that sound like good works? Doesn't it sound like Christ is telling him, hey, you want it? You can work your way. Just go sell everything. If you sell everything, you can, you can figure out how to fill this. So you got to understand, Christ understands the man and he realizes the importance to him of his financial means that he has. Christ understands the man and he realized that this, these, this making his own way, here it is. He's going to fall short. He's going to end up looking like this here. He's going to end up missing it because he is going to end up, when he's asked to sell all, to go away sad because he is not able to and willing to give all. See, he has in there an idol in his life that he's not going to let go of. You know, um, to me, as I read this and trying to understand it, it is a beautiful picture of the love and the compassion of Christ. Do you see the love Christ has for this man? It even says it in the verse that Christ loved him. Christ loves him and gives him a clear explanation of what is necessary. Not only was it necessary for him to sell everything, but look what it said next to do. What did he need to do? He's exposed his sin to the man. He's exposed him and said, you know, the things that you think could get you across there, <laughs> it's not going to make it. You still have it. You're going to break the first commandment. You're going to have these other idols, these other things you're worshiping. So you're not going to make it. There's no way you can make it because there's only one who is perfect and you're not perfect and you have fallen short. And he tells him next what to do. He tells him all this stuff. Ooh, it's disappearing with my hand. All this stuff isn't what will make it. We'll go get a color. 
The only way to bridge the gap is to come and follow me. You know, really, one of the reasons I'm excited about sharing this tonight is not only do I share with you some difficult, hard sayings of Christ, but I also get to share with you the good news of the gospel. This is a perfect, excellent illustration of what is necessary for one to, to come to Christ. You know, earlier we talked about that, and we had our, our list over here. We had to talk about sin, the wages of sin, and what took place. And this is what it does. It shows us a God. There is a God. There is a good, a loving God, a perfect God. He is the standard. And like the rich young ruler, we are separated from God. And no matter what we try to do, the, our good works, we're not going to make it. And some of this was shared here about Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourself. It is a gift of God, not by works, lest anyone should boast. What a beautiful picture for us to realize that this man needed to know he was given, he comes with a question and is given the answer to the question. He's given a lot of answers. He's given the answer that there's only one who is good. He's given the way that one can have eternal life. It's not by your good works. It's by the grace of God. The truth has been exposed. And for me tonight, I pray that there, if there is any in this room who are like the, or like the rich young ruler, that you may not leave this place tonight as one who is sorrowful or sad because you do not have eternal life. And for those of you who are in Christ, those who are alive in Christ, should rejoice this day and be excited what God has done for us. How we have been redeemed. That we are new creatures. That we, unlike the rich young ruler in this story, um, we have heard the truth and been redeemed. And that's what I love about the story about Bartimaeus. Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus replies to him, Your faith has made you well. I pray that this night your faith in Christ has made you well. That this picture up here, you have given your life to Christ. Because when it comes down to it, that is what really matters. These difficult questions that we have hopefully given you some insight to tonight, they do matter. But nothing is more meaningful or as important for us to be able to hear the truth, for our eyes to be open, for us who are blind to now see, for us who could not hear can hear again because Christ has come into our life and made us new. Let's close in prayer. Father, um, we have been redeemed. We've been redeemed by the blood of Christ. You have made us alive. 
You who are good and faithful and loving, You have redeemed us. We were once like the rich young ruler seeking maybe even to know something about You. Maybe even giving to the church. Maybe even going on a mission trip thinking that we will eventually earn our way into heaven to gain eternal life. But all of that will fall short. For we've been saved by Your grace by putting our faith and trust in You and You alone. So I do lift up those in this room that have not done that. Those who are wondering um, what would happen if they were to die tonight. Father, I must say, um, at times I'm not as excited as I should be about that. But I should be so excited to know that whatever happens to me tonight, if I pass from this world, I will be in paradise with you and should rejoice. So I thank you for that. And so we um, give this night up to you. We thank you for what you have done for us. And we lift all this up in your precious son's name. Amen.